What kind of parents did you have growing up? Were they hardcore disciplinarians or did they let you do your own thing? Maybe something in between? Was dad super tough and mama softy? Maybe it was reversed? We all have different views on discipline based on the way we were raised. But what does the Bible say about it? Let's spend some time today taking a look at God's view of discipline as outlined in the Bible, particularly for men. Welcome to the Yoked Men's Ministry Podcast with Southern Hills Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, where we explore God's vision of manhood and masculinity as outlined in the Bible, as well as its practical application to our lives today. Thanks for joining us today. If this is the first time you've been on this podcast, this is a great day to start. We're about to begin a 19-week series on building spiritual discipline for men by examining four areas of a Christian man's life, his relationships, his soul, his character, and his ministry. You can follow along in this series by purchasing the book this series is based on. It's called Disciplines of a Godly Man by R. Kent Hughes. Every episode of the series will focus on one chapter of the book each week for 19 weeks. I won't be reading it word for word or rehashing exactly what's presented in each chapter. Instead, I'll be presenting the main principle put forward in the chapter and giving my own take on the lesson being taught. I highly recommend following along in the book if you can. The key principle of this entire series for the next 19 weeks is that personal discipline is the indispensable key to accomplishing anything. I'll repeat that. Personal discipline is the indispensable key to accomplishing anything. We need only to look at sports, art, music, literature, business, trades. Success in these require discipline. Michael Jordan, Jack Nicholas, Michael Phelps, Wayne Gretzky. What do they all have in common? They were all great in their sports, and they all spent thousands and thousands of hours away from competition, practicing in disciplined, rigid practice. And it shows. They're rewarded in public for what they practiced in private. Let's move away from sports, though. What about other examples? Well, one could look at Winston Churchill. He was the prime minister of England during World War II. He's famous for his rousing speeches. But did you know that he had a terrible lisp? That's a speech impediment. One that he spent hours and hours and hours practicing speeches to get around that lisp so his message could be heard without the distraction of that lisp. Again, discipline. Another example would be Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb. He failed making the filament which makes the light bulb possible 1,000 times. Who would have made it to 500 before giving up? Or even 200? Would you have made it 100 times before throwing in the towel? We will never get anywhere in life without discipline. This is doubly so in spiritual matters. We may have innate advantages in some areas like sports, music, or the arts, but exactly no one can claim any innate spiritual advantages. In fact, we are all equally disadvantaged. No one naturally seeks after God. No one is instinctually righteous. No one does good. It's actually the opposite. We are all rotten. See Romans 3, 9 through 18. I'm not going to read it, but I suggest you do. This is scripture describing just how deplorable humanity is in its entirety. So spiritual discipline is everything to the Christian. Reading our Bibles, spending time with the Lord in prayer, attending and serving our local church, being good husbands, being good fathers, 
discipling others. All requires discipline. The Apostle Paul wrote heavily on discipline. In his letters to Timothy, Paul told Timothy to train yourself for godliness. This is interesting language because the word train comes from the Greek word gumnos, which means naked, and is also the word from which we derive the English word gymnasium. Did you know that in ancient times, the contestants in the Greek athletic contests would compete naked so as not to be encumbered by anything that could affect their performance on the field? Interesting. In the same way, the ancient Greek athletes stripped down and competed gumnos, we too must rid ourselves of every habit, association, or encumbrance that hinders godliness in our lives. We are to strip ourselves to a lean spiritual nakedness. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. These are all athletic terms, hard work terms, endurance terms. So this business of spiritual discipline is hard work, and it's training. And if we do it right, it's going to cause us sweat, spiritual sweat, if you will. So I have to ask you, Are you man enough to get back into the gym? You know, disciplined men in today's age are the exception, not the rule. And there are three main reasons for this. One, you could look at the development of feminism over the last 50 years. In that time, advocates of feminism have been blurring the lines between the sexes so much so that they're meant to be indistinguishable in our minds. Girls can do everything boys can do. Most of the time, better. Tomboyish girls are celebrated and actual boys with manly traits are taught to stifle them because of the horrifying epidemic of toxic masculinity we face in our society. An effect we see in today's culture, outside of our society's apparent inability to define what is a woman, is the celebration of a woman that looks, talks, and acts like a man. You need only look at our movies and TV shows to see this. The overemphasis on strong female characters in place of our typical male heroes. Now, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with a strong female character. Helen Ripley in Aliens was a great one. Just write believable ones. Women in real life are not throwing men two to three times their size through walls. It just doesn't happen. There's a reason why a transgender woman, aka a biological man who's deluded himself into thinking that he's a woman, who then competes in sports against biological women, dominates every time. Now, I'm not saying women are weak. I am saying. They are clearly different from men. And what we have in this total woman society, a rugged, assertive, disciplined man becomes a threat. If he steps up to take charge in a mixed-gendered setting, he can be labeled as a sexist pig. The woman taking charge gets to be a strong, stunning, and brave hero, but the man is a chauvinist. Thus, an entire generation of men is neutered and not meeting the potential God created them for. So I mentioned three reasons. The first was feminism. The second is entertainment. Addiction to entertainment and screens is also neutralizing men in droves. There are men who have become voyeurs, passive watchers, constantly escaping into the fantasy of movies, shows, and video games. These are men who've substituted viewing for actually doing. They imagine themselves hitting the home run, scoring the touchdown, defeating the enemy, saving the world, getting the girl. Heroes in their own inert minds as they squander their time accomplishing nothing. Sexual voyeurism, that's porn, guys, is particularly pathetic as a man's testosterone, which is meant to infuse manliness, is used to enslave him and keep him impotent. Again, 
passivity. He satisfies himself to images and videos that are not his wife, little by little eroding his capacity for arousal by his wife. There is a thing called porn-induced erectile dysfunction, guys. A man can become so wired by pornographic images that a real woman, his wife, isn't enough to arouse him. Please, I beg you, ditch porn, guys. There's a saying that idle hands do the devil's work. So find something to do, not watch, do. Get your hands dirty fixing something. Stretch your mind and learn a new language. Take up martial arts. Go for walks. Something that involves your active participation. So that's feminism, entertainment, and thirdly is legalism. The American Christian is particularly averse to legalism, and a fear of falling into legalism can be argued as a reason for the apparent rejection of spiritual discipline today. For many, having a rigid plan around reading the Bible, prayer, church attendance, and service screams of legalism so they drop their personal standards so abysmally low and thus achievable without a modicum of effort. Again, passivity. If this sounds like you, I applaud your desire to avoid legalism, but I have to ask you, do you have a rigid plan for eating, work, sleep, working out? How about date night with the wife, nights out with the boys, time allocated for your children? If there's nothing wrong with making a plan around these activities, there's not a problem with making a plan around spiritual goals and activities either. That's not the problem. Our motivations are what can be the problem. The legalistic heart says, I'll do this thing so God will like me and give me blessings. The disciplined heart says, I'll do this thing because I love God and I want to please him. If you love God, don't be afraid to take things deeper. That's not legalism. It's intentionally building and strengthening your relationship with him, which is only going to be better for you. So why should we care about any of this? If things are so bad and so hard, what's the point? Well, putting a focus on our discipline in spiritual matters, it speaks to our capacity to be effective. Are we training ourselves to be useful for God? You'll hear people say, God can use anyone. And that is true. But how much more can we be used if we're intentionally training ourselves to be useful, to be closer to God? When our children and our grandchildren follow our example, will it be to their betterment or their detriment? Will our wives grow spiritually because of our influence or in spite of it? Will we have an impact on the community around us, taking hold of opportunities God puts in our way, or will we passively watch our lives float by? All of this might raise the feeling of an oppressive, restricted life, but I swear nothing could be further from the truth. In the same way a trained athlete is free to leave it all on the field during a competition, after thousands of hours of training and exercise, our training in spiritual discipline frees us to live the life that God intended for us, which will always be more fulfilling than anything we could muster for ourselves without Him. I asked you earlier, are you man enough to get back into the gym? In God's gym, we train hard. We break some serious spiritual sweat, and we get some massive gains too. Are you ready? We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, would you help us out by spreading the word to other men in your life? Also, please like, comment, and subscribe so we can reach more men with this content. God bless you.